Hey everyone, and welcome back to How to Live the Podcast. We are coming off the back of a huge weekend. We actually put together an event on Saturday for the Fashion Festival here in Melbourne, where we invited people to come along and decorate their tubes with us, or a twerk shop as we like to call it. It was so much fun. People got really creative and the energy was really amazing. So much fun. And we are buzzing right now because we are so so pumped to be sharing this episode today with you. It was an interview that we sat down and did with Mia Friedman. Now, if you haven't heard of Mia, she started Mamma Mia in 2007, which is now Australia's largest independent women's media group. And on their website, they describe themselves as not a mummy blog, despite the fact that its founder had both a uterus and an internet connection, which we just totally love. She's also the queen of keeping it real on social media. If you guys don't follow her on Instagram yet, you absolutely should. Every time she posts something, I am just in absolute hysterics. So Mia is a bit of a fortune teller in the digital space. She left the job as the editor of Cosmo and Dolly magazine because she could see that the decline of print media was coming, but she couldn't get any of her bosses to listen. So we were really eager to ask her all about what the future of media looks like, which she shared some really interesting insights on. We also talked to her about the rise of female entrepreneurship and we bonded over our deep deep love of the bold type love the bold type so you know the drill stick around to the end to find out about next week's podcast guest enjoy this one we know you will Hello, Mia. Hello, welcome. Welcome to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so we're actually in your office today, which we're really excited about. We love getting to see where people are working. And the vibe in here is amazing. When we walked in, we said it's very like Silicon Valley-esque. And we we did notice that you're just sitting amongst everyone on a desk. And we wanted to ask you about that. What's the theory there? Yeah, so I... um, Occasionally, there are a few offices and I go on a retreat when I need to, but I find, I think because I started my career working in a sort of a small room with about five or six people at at Clio and our room was a thoroughfare, the writer's room was between the art department and the fashion department and it was just, you know, people going past all the time, it was like working in the middle of a freeway. So (laughs) I work well with people around me and Mm. with noise. Yeah. Uh, But I think that open plan, particularly when you're a writer, can be a little bit of a punish and I know that not everybody works well in open plan so I think that yeah it can be a really good thing because it's very collaborative Mm -hmm. Um, and when I'm at work I like being with everyone but sometimes I do need to just withdraw a little bit yeah like to get stuff done do you have rules like you can't go and interrupt someone or is there like a headphone rule or something yeah we don't have any rules we should (laughs) we want to implement a headphone rule that's a fantastic idea yeah that's like a do not disturb sign the trouble is that our podcast department have got their headphones on all day every Uh, day so we would never be able to interrupt them because they're always listening and editing um and I'm the worst defender when it comes to interrupting people yes same and we're we're actually really bad because because we're sisters we just interrupt each other naturally and so we've kind of created this bit of a work environment where everyone talks it's like kind of like a big family but it's hard to kind of you know create that divide and stop that culture of everyone just constantly interrupting each other it's really it can be really destructive and really bad for productivity so what we've just started doing this week is um our boardroom we've dedicated an hour a day as a library space where people can just go in there and work quietly 
Um, because, That's yeah, and then you've got the sales department like to have a lot of music on and they like talking because they're on the phone, they're selling. The editorial department have got to work and they've got to have their heads down. Then, the you know, the tech people have got to concentrate as well because they're coding or whatever. So you've got – I don't think that the, the open plan office is actually a very positive thing for most people. I think it's actually can be quite counterproductive. But, you know, it's it's an effective use of space. I just yeah. don't know if it's an effective use of time. So yeah. is that why you guys have it? You just – it was a good use of the space, really. It was a good use yeah, of the space. Um, you know, we did have offices before, but then it can become a little bit hierarchical as well. Mm-hmm. And who gets an office and oh, who yeah. does it doesn't. And because the space is limited, we decided to move everyone out of offices and use the offices as meeting rooms. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know. Well, it looks good. Thank it you. It does. <laughs> and it feels nice. Um, so we'd love to get into it. Um, we can't believe when we were reading about your history. So you were 24 when you were the editor of Cosmo. Incredible. What was that like? Seems like a long time ago. I thought that was really old because when I started at Clio as work experience when I was 19, Lisa Wilkinson was my first boss mm-hmm. and she'd become an editor when she was 21. She was the editor of Dolly at 21 Whoa. and then the editor of Clio when she was about 23. So, so you felt like you were behind? Yeah, I did. And so my aim was always to be an editor by the time I was 25, which I thought sounded so far in the future um and when I started at at Cosmo I was the youngest person on the staff Mm -hmm. and I probably thought that I knew the most yeah and the older I've got the less I've realized that I know well that's a thing that that sometimes being young and naive is actually you know a a positive thing because you can just go out there have no fears and just go for it. Yeah, I think that's really true. Uh, so I, I didn't really question it at the time. I've learned a lot through trial and error in terms of managing people mm-hmm. and working in a team. I really like working in a team. That's where I'm happiest, in a team of women. Um, but I don't really manage anyone anymore. I don't have any direct reports. I don't really report to anyone. So I've got to the point after 11, almost 12 years of Mamma Mia where I can sort of carve out my own role. Yeah, that's great. We we also we're in building a team at the moment, and like we're having to manage people, and we're like, ah, oh, this is something completely different that we don't really know if we like. You know, like it's it's just become a completely job probably over the last year since we started hiring people, where we don't get to do the things that we're good at necessarily, and the things that we love because we're helping other people kind of do their things. That's one of the biggest frustrations, and that's why um, one of the reasons I left magazines and and I wanted to start Mamma Mia was because. I'd worked my way up the ladder and gone from work experience to editor-in-chief of Cosmo Clio and Dolly and I had all this stuff and all this responsibility and great, great money and I was so far away from what I loved doing, which was being creative. I was Mm. still only in my 30s and I was managing everyone else's creativity but I wasn't doing anything and I felt the same way here a couple of years ago. I felt that I was once again in that situation where I'd started at Mamma Mia, I'd started launched this blog I was writing six posts a day choosing all the images doing everything myself and then I'd got to the point which was delightful because I was burning out doing that it Mm -hmm. was delightful that we had you know 80 100 staff but again I was just managing people and I was in meetings all day and that is not a good use of me and it doesn't make me feel happy creatively so that's when I started Lady Startup as almost a little startup within Mamma Mia because Mamma Mia is not a startup anymore it's a scale-up you can't have that startup mentality yeah. and be hands-on when um, you've got this many people. You do end up managing the managers. Totally. So how did you kind of make that transition to go back into doing what you love? 
I just started doing it. Um, both times. I think when I, I love started, that answer. Yeah, I just <laughs> it's did. too simple. When you're the boss, you kind of can. But I've always really followed my instincts, and so um, you know, at four or five years ago, I just started a podcast network again. I started it as a little startup within Mamma Mia, and um, I grew that, and then that got to the point where it was staffed and had lots of people, and I still host three podcasts, and I love that. But then I felt that I had more to offer, and I wanted to live our core purpose of making the world a better place for women and girls in a in a different way. And I felt, it's hard to explain, but sometimes I just feel like I know what this next wave is that's coming. Yeah. And I could just tell that, as you guys could, female entrepreneurs were the next I don't want to say the next big thing as if it's a trend, mm. but the next big cultural shift. Yeah. Um, so I knew that that was, that was what women were into and, and that was delightful to me because as a magazine editor in the 90s it was all about um, supermodels and then it was all about female celebrities and the idea that it was about female entrepreneurs and women who were doing things rather than looking a certain way or being actresses or models or pop stars yeah, that, finally about our brains. You finally about our brains and our actions. And yeah. as a mother of a daughter and sons, and as a female entrepreneur myself, that was pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. So we talked before about how you always seem to be a bit ahead of the trend. So you know, you were at Cosmo and you really saw that like the digital age was coming. You launched your amazing podcast um, station. What was it? Four years yeah. ago. Um, so you're always like ahead of the trend. How do you go about doing that? Is it just like something that comes naturally? Yeah, I, I have to say if I have one superpower, that's what it is. I've 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 learned over the years that I've got a lot of weaknesses as a manager, as an, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. Um, but my strength is just being very tapped into what women want a little bit before they know they want it. And really seeing and feeling in myself as a consumer um, just observing my own actions mm-hmm. and saying, hey, I've started listening to podcasts or, hey, you know, all my friends are starting their own businesses and I've got my own business and I'm feeling really disconnected from all of those kind of networking groups that are out there. I want some more hands-on support um, and starting Lady Startup from that. So it's really just about following my instincts. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the thing is, like, you know, it's about being aware of it. Like you're saying, like yes. you started to notice that there are podcasts. And I think we all kind of start to notice that, but nobody really stops to acknowledge it and go, oh, this is the future. Like people often say to us, like, how did you know to get an Instagram then? And it's like, well, if you think about it, a lot of people are on Instagram. People just hadn't stopped to think about it and gone, oh, okay, this is probably where we're all going to be in a few years' time. Female entrepreneurs do. I mean, you know, with with your label, you noticed something. You noticed a gap in the market and a market in the gap. And you thought, well, if we're into it and we can't find what we want, then there are probably a lot of other women who are in that same situation. So, um, yeah, it's it's really following your instincts in that way. So when you were at Cosmo still um, and you kind of started to notice this digital shift, what did you do there? Like The first thing I noticed actually at Cosmo was – a desire for more authenticity and more diversity in the way women were portrayed because Mm -hmm. the magazine industry until that time had just used skinny, white, blonde, tall, young, Anglo Mm -hmm. models who were size zero and then they heavily airbrushed them. And I thought I didn't look like that and no one I knew looked like that. So why as a businesswoman would you want to make your customers feel bad about themselves and, and unrepresented? And I knew it was bad for business, but I also knew it was bad for women as a feminist. So I started to use 
women of all different shapes, sizes and skin colours in every issue of the magazine. And, and what year was this, sorry? This was in 1996. Yeah, so like how ahead of the trend is that, that like and we're I, still sitting we're here still being having like, that conversation. where's all the diversity? Why are all the like models just white and skinny? Yeah, yeah. Like, should we put a token plus size girl in this shot? You know, that'll really speak to the people. And that's what Cosmo was doing before I started. It was like, oh no, we do one plus size shoot a year and... And Oy, we put, no. dress them in cardigans and flat shoes. And I'm like, no, 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 this is Cosmo. We dress them how we dress any other model. And we're not going to do it once a year. We're going to do it every issue. And we're not going to make a big fuss of it and call it modern curves. We're <laughs> going to just do it as wallpaper. And that meant that Cosmo went to number one in circulation, ad sales and um, revenue. And so, again, it's that thing of tapping into walking in her shoes and knowing what women want and going, why is no one answering this? So back to digital, I knew that trying to sell a magazine for seven bucks, eight bucks, and magazines in Australia are among the highest cover prices in the world, but Australian um, magazines were among the highest sellers in the world per capita. Uh, we've got a population that loves to consume information, but when you can you know, choose your own adventure and make your own entertainment and create essentially your own magazine, and this is even before social media, why wouldn't you? And I kept saying to my old white male bosses, the future is coming, the apocalypse is coming for print, particularly when your market is young women. Women also want to have a two-way conversation. They want to dynamically be able to share content and comment on the content. And they just said it was just a phase and a trend and ignored me, so I left. Yeah, myself. that's so interesting. So how did you feel then when Cosmo just recently announced that they're no longer... I felt it's been a, it's been a, about 18 months of seeing first Dolly, then Cleo, now Cosmo. So the three magazines that, that I was in charge of before I left, part of me, a tiny part of me felt vindicated, but a bigger part of me felt really angry and disappointed that these incredible brands that I grew up with, that I worked on, that meant so much to me as a reader and as a girl and as a young woman and as a woman, had been allowed by people who didn't know what they were doing to just evaporate, like to just decline and then fall away with no sense of what those brands meant. And it's ironic because if they hadn't, maybe they wouldn't have been a Mamma Mia. If they'd have been more totally. savvy digitally and they'd listened to me, maybe they wouldn't have been roomed for us to create our own women's media company. But I still, like every Australian woman, I think, hold such a place in my heart for Dolly. Mm -hmm. 100%. And Dolly Doctor. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I, I know. Exactly. And I remember reading your editor's letters when we used to read yeah. Dolly. Like, you were such a big part of that magazine. So it's devastating. And Lisa's were, were part of my, my upbringing too. So I just think, you know, oh. What a waste is what I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a bit how we all feel. Yeah. I know you say that you saw that digital age kind of coming, but did it feel like a risk when you left kind of these thriving at the time businesses to go out on your own? Um, that's such a good question. Uh, I guess I felt that I had no choice because I just – there's two different types of burnout for creative people. There's the burnout of – well, there's the burnout for everyone of just being exhausted and doing working really hard and really long hours. And then there's creative burnout, which is just doing the same thing again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And I had been in the same kind of market with young women, Cleo, Cosmo, for 15 years and making magazines and the hair special and the swimsuit special and the how to know if he's going to break up with you and all of those kinds of things. And as much as I'd been able to push the envelope a little bit with, around body image, it was still a tired medium to me, so I felt that I literally could not stand 
doing it for one more month. Like I'd done more sealed sections than any human should ever have to play. I love those sealed sections. Yeah. And I just felt that I kind of had no choice. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd, I'd fought hard to get, I'd, I'd had a brief time at Channel 9 and I'd fought hard to get a redundancy. And that meant that I had a little bit of a buffer because I went from earning great money to earning no money. Because yeah. this was an 18 hour a day, seven day a week exercise for two years. I couldn't afford to do anything else. And you know, suddenly I wasn't earning anything. So I had a little bit of a buffer. Um, the, the redundancy wasn't amazing, but it was enough that I could have a little bit of space to just see if this was going to work or not. Mm-hmm. So you just mentioned two years. So did it take you two years to get Mamma Me off the ground? Oh, God, yes. So in the first two years, I don't know, I made a couple of dollars from Google ads maybe, mm-hmm. but I didn't earn anything for those two years because I couldn't. I mean, I had a newspaper column and I did little bits here and there, but not compared to the salary I had before. And we still had a mortgage to pay and I had two kids and then I had a third. So um, it wasn't until my husband came on as co-founder about two years down the track when I'd built that audience and we were starting to get interest from advertisers, but I didn't have the time or the interest or the skills to do that strategic business side and he did so that's when it became a business and you know went from blog to business yeah and I think that's so important is finding people that kind of balance out your skills 100% yeah like you you know you, you can only do so much and you know you've already mentioned like your weaknesses in the 10 minutes that we've been speaking oh, so gorgeous. far and I feel like that's so important to be able to acknowledge your weaknesses and so many people put all this pressure on themselves to be good at everything but none of us can be and so often women in business will go into some go into business with someone who is a friend or a relative Mm -hmm. and um often you are really similar so you've got the same strengths and the same weaknesses Mm -hmm. sometimes you don't but and, and that can be okay but you've got to be aware of what those weaknesses are and you've got to either hire against them or outsource against them because if you're both really great at the creative side, someone's got to be the strategy. Someone's got to be the admin. Totally. We actually have had a similar thing where like in the beginning we were doing everything together, like writing emails together, doing pictures together, everything. Just and so you know, we still share an email address. That's like the one thing that we wow. hold on to. We yeah. held on to it. But um, And then it wasn't until we kind of started doing, you know, startup programs and speaking to mentors and they were like, whoa, this is the biggest waste of time. You really need to sit down, you know, write your skills down on paper have a bit more self-awareness than this and say what what are you good at what are you good at and now we've like become much better at splitting our roles but it's hard and it's it also in the beginning I guess you probably want to do everything like you know you also sound like you want your fingers in all the pies <laughs> and as a, as a business owner and a business founder as a lady startup you need to do everything at first because you need to know how everything works yeah otherwise someone can come along and go hey this is what you need and and you don't know because you've never done that job or you've never understood that part of your business and that's where you can make really bad decisions and waste a lot of money by not knowing your business inside out mm-hmm. Is there something that you've seen that you're like, okay, like in five years, you know, it's going to look like this, or I feel like this is about to take off the way you did with podcasting four years ago? I think that um, the idea of the female entrepreneur is is more and more important in terms of um, people turning away from news, wanting to support brands that that ha- that share their values. I think that's really important and also people wanting to know more about the brands they're supporting mm-hmm. I think that's becoming really important yeah that's so true about values I feel like yeah 
even I'd say two or three years ago, you know, Stephanie and I, we stand for a lot, you know, female empowerment and animal welfare. But even three years ago, we felt like we weren't really able to voice those opinions without alienating people, which is obviously not what we want to do. But now it's so cool that we live in this time where everyone is so value-based and if you don't stand for anything then why are you even here which is really cool and it seems like something you've been able to thread through your business really well like we've seen that you've done the thousand girls project yeah which is incredible yeah so for us um it's always been about coming back to what's our core purpose and I guess that gives us a big point of difference from all our other competitors who are all saying oh women let's make content for women and let's grab the pink dollar for us, it's always been about making the world a better place for women and girls. And that's not to say that we're a charity, but we do that through content and we do that through our partnerships with charities that support women. So, for example, Share the Dignity, who we partner with and who I'm an ambassador for, that's um, a charity that was start by, started by a woman called Rochelle Courtney after she read a story on Mamma Mia about period poverty and how some women have to use newspaper and socks because they can't afford sanitary items. And she started Share the Dignity after reading that article. And Room to Read is another charity that we partner with um, and everything, you know, every, a dollar from every ticket that we sell, every book that we sell, uh, every everything for our live shows um, goes to support um, helping to keep girls in school in some of the most underprivileged countries in the world and our live podcast that we did in country areas for Drought Angels to help support, um, you know, with the rural community. So for us it's about... And now with Lady Startup as well, you know, I want to I want to try to help 20,000 women by 2020 to launch or grow their own businesses. Um, and that's a sort of a concrete goal. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And we were actually very lucky to be a part of your Lady Startup book. Thank you, you so much. You weren't lucky. You were very deserving. Oh, we feel thank lucky. You. We you feel very, very deserving. lucky. Um, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of what you do and, and I'm really impressed. So we wanted to showcase... You know, we've got 56 different women who sort of take you behind the scenes, including you guys were generous enough to to share some of your business story. And that's what women kind of want to read and learn about. Totally. totally. And I love what you said there. You know, you want to make the world a better place for women and girls, but you're doing it in not like a serious, boring way. You know, it's like you want to impact the world positively and it doesn't have to be drab and really, you know, dry and sad. It's actually like we're creating fun content that you want to be a part of. And actually, oh, you didn't even notice, but we impacted you positively as well. It's almost like a trick. Correct. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of judgment in what is quality content or what is good content. I think that you can make the world a better place for women and girls by making them laugh, by making them feel seen or heard or understood or giving them a platform to tell their story as a survivor or just as someone who something funny's happened to. Um, so entertaining and informing women is another way to make, to make the world a better place for women and girls. So I think it's really cool that, you're, you know, you've got all these things that you're incredibly passionate about and, and you do bring them into your business, you know, like Room to Read, like Lady Startups. Was there a point in your business when you introduced those kind of passions into it or was it there from the beginning? Because we actually, you know, we do have a lot of things we're passionate about and um, we recently started Too Good, which is an initiative where we give a female entrepreneur a grant of up to $5,000 and a mentorship from us. And we were telling Christina Carlson, who we sat down with recently, the founder of KKK, and she was like, that's really awesome. But she said to us, I was given the advice once that you need to feed yourself before you can feed others. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think I think that's true too. I mean, for us, 
we have always had that as our our north star our our core purpose but i think we probably weren't very good at surfacing that both within the company and outside the company you know my husband and i've always sort of done it behind the scenes but i think that um you know when you look at the culture of the organization you want to make and the, the difference that you want to make in the world i think that by saying what you stand for attracts people who are like-minded to you so um and as far as putting your own oxygen mask on before before putting it on other people i think that's i think that's true as well i think that that though women the networking effect of women supporting women should never be underestimated mm-hmm. because i think that um I think the only thing that a woman likes more is than being helpful is being seen to be helpful. And I think that that's just win-win because when we help each other, it's positive for the person being helped and it's also positive for the person helping because I think that along with every mentor relationship and mentor mentee relationship I've or I've ever had, it should be a two-way exchange. Like sure. you do learn stuff mm-hmm. from the person you're mentoring um, as well as the person who mentors you. Definitely. And so we have talked a little bit about lady startups, but I realized we didn't actually delve into what that is. So I'd love you to tell our listeners a little bit more about that and what you guys are doing. So I just started as an Instagram page, really. I'd started this Instagram account. I went snuck over to our art department and got them to design a logo. And my husband at one point noticing me spending more and more time on this was like, what is it? Like, what's the business model? And I'm like, I don't know yet. I'm figuring it out. I'll get there. And um, so we really listened to the community. We discovered that, as you would know, one of the hardest things about being Uh, starting your own business is feeling isolated Mm -hmm. and so many women dream of working for themselves either so that they can have more meaning to what they're doing so that they can control their work hours and have that flexibility and control over their working lives Um, and to make a difference you know and and also as a creative outlet so we now run courses for people who've got an idea and want to turn it into a business online courses we have got a podcast we've got the book Um, And uh, next year, we're also going to be launching in 2019 the Rocket Club, which is going to be for women who've already got their own businesses, but who want to grow them and who really want to sort of put a rocket up their businesses. Oh, cool. Uh, Yeah, because there are sort of quite a few organisations, and and the more the merrier, I say, but um, that are focused on kind of corporate women and sort of getting women to the top in boardrooms, which is great. And please, we need more of that. Yeah, kick but, that. What's that stat? Like there are more Toms in on boards in Australia than there, there are, are women. women. It's Absolutely. not Tom though. It's and another it's, name. It's, it's, yeah, it's it could be Tom, could be David, could Matthew, be Andrew, yeah. all of them. Um, but for women, the women I talk to, the women who are running their own businesses, they just want sort of practical grassroots help and support. Mm-hmm. And for us, we've now got this platform of millions of women um, where the biggest media company for women in Australia run by women. And so, of course, we want to lift other women up. And what I find is that it's not just the women who are running their own businesses who are benefiting from Lady Startup, but other women who might not run their own businesses. But if they get to choose, I'm going to buy a pair of shoes, you know, at Zara or made by two female Australian entrepreneurs, I'll pick the girls. Like, totally. I'll vote with my wallet and I will actually support a woman or whether it's hiring a tradesperson or getting a graphic designer or getting a caterer. 
it was just my daughter's 13th um, birthday and bat mitzvah and we had a party for her and muscle tough thank you <laughs> and I was I, I chose a female event planner and uh, you know w- when we were making decisions about cater and DJ and, and all of those things I said I want a, I want a woman I want a woman I want a woman I want a lady startup so we had a full team including even the rabbi who were all women amazing yeah that's so great and that's just a practical way that you can actually support other women and that's me walking my talk I guess which is something that's just so important to us here that's really cool because we've talked about doing that in our business and really like encouraging our suppliers as well to like always be choosing things that align with our values and their values but I've never even thought about doing that in my personal life as well which I love yeah absolutely and so if ever we can choose you know, to hire a tradesman or whatever it is, tradesman, look what I just said, trades, yeah, trades. tradesman, whatever, yeah. we'll always try to choose a woman because at what better way to literally empower other women than, than helping them in their businesses. That's so cool. Love that. Um, so podcasts. Yeah. Are they going to be around for a long time? Oh, in a bigger way, yeah, bigger way than ever. So um, now is the age that blogs were when you started them mm-hmm. like when you started yours so in 2011 and 2012 everyone was starting a blog now everyone's starting a podcast um that's how we feel as well but we feel like we might have gotten in at just the right time in Australia yeah possibly absolutely and and I think that it's it's you know we say to brands it's got to be part of your strategy now um as far as everyone starting their own that's tough because again if you don't have that foothold Mm -hmm. but again it depends what your podcast is for if it's just a different way to get your message out fantastic more and more content is being um consumed by women through audio uh and because there's there's a limit to the time we can look at our screens but there's much less of a limit to the time that we can absorb information through our ears totally well and I also feel like it's quite cool because if I'm listening to it I almost want it to be I want to get something positive out of it or learn from it much more so than when I'm just like scrolling on my phone. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very aware of like, okay, if I'm going to sit down and listen to a podcast, it's not going to be mindless. I'm actually going to learn something. I'm going to feel better after I do it. Yeah, something like that. Absolutely. And, um, you know, there's an intimacy to podcasts. So for us, we've got 21 different podcasts. We've got about four or five of them that are regular weekly shows. Other Others are seasonal. Uh, everything from wedding podcasts to sex podcasts to lady startup um and yeah it's it's a medium that I'm really really enjoying if you'd have asked me a couple of years ago what do I do I would have probably said I'm a journalist or a writer uh now I consider the creative side of myself very much to be a podcaster and I don't write anymore except for my newsletter um that's so cool I didn't realize that I don't write anymore so I um express myself through podcasts that's very cool and I think that you know we can say oh it feels like it's so saturated right now everyone's starting a podcast but I think still in two years time everyone's going to be like how did you know to start a podcast (laughs) you know (laughs) like you just kind of have to really like you said before you have to listen have your eyes open and what what is happening it's never too late to get on it we know people that are like oh I was going to but it feels like everyone's doing it in two years Everyone is literally going to be doing it. And if you feel that it's how you want to express yourself, then that's what you need to do. Like it's mm-hmm. the same with starting a blog. If that's if you think you're going to get rich doing it, you won't. 
But if you are doing it for other reasons, for reasons around branding, for reasons around creativity and expressing yourself and starting a conversation and putting something good into the world, well, then absolutely. Mm-hmm. Totally. Awesome. Okay, well, this was so amazing, Mia. I'm so, so excited about this podcast. I can't wait for it to go live. And um, I feel like we could literally sit here for hours with you, but we know your time is precious, so yes. we won't keep you much longer. You're a good interviewers. So, oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We're learning. Yeah. Um, so before we go, we'd love to ask you some quick fires. Yes. Um, so I'll hit you with the first one. What's the last thing you do before you go to bed at night? The last thing I do is usually plug in my phone. Um, is, it I, in, is it next to you or yeah, is it another room? It's next to me, but I put it on airplane mode. Same. Um, I ha- I'm a really good sleeper. I'm like an Olympic sleeper. I could win medals for my sleeping. <laughs> so I look at my screen until the second I want to go to sleep and then I turn it off and I'm asleep in 30 seconds. Oh, that's such a yeah, talent. Yeah, so that's I'm, a great talent. It is a great talent. So you said you had one, one superpower before, which is seeing the future, but that's your other superpower. Also sleeping. You have two. I can sleep everywhere. Oh, that sounds delicious. Like even on sleep buses? Right now. Oh, anywhere. Oh. I can't not sleep on a plane anymore, even if it's just down to Canberra. I'm asleep practically on the runway. Oh, that's uh, so great. That's weird. That's amazing. Okay, number two is what is your biggest guilty pleasure? Or not guilty. You don't have to feel guilty for it. Just yeah. a pleasure, really. Oh, look, um, I like to eat in bed. And I, I don't feel guilty about it, but my what husband... about the crumbs? Well, I don't care. My husband hates it, so I only can really do it when he's away or he's out because <laughs> he refuses to allow me to eat in bed. Um, yeah, I, I, I like to eat in bed. Yeah, I like to eat. I didn't even know that was a guilty thing. Like, I just... I it just is when you live it. with someone and share a bed with someone who finds it I abhorrent. do but yeah, yeah. I, I really like to eat in the bath I like I've started this new thing where if I'm gonna have a bath I'm like well it may as well be the most indulgent thing ever so I take a piece of cake to my bath oh I love that I do a cookie in <sighs> a bath as well it's really fun I also walk around Westfield that's kind of my happy place when I need time on my own really I walk around Westfield listening to podcasts okay. that's yeah. really why Westfield just I like all the things to look at the stimulation or I'll walk There's around Sephora for a couple of hours okay Mecca. Uh, a female entrepreneur you admire? Um, I asked Poppy King to write the forward to my book because when I started Mamma Mia, she literally was the only female entrepreneur that I could even think of that existed. She sort of uh, a started. A queen. Yeah. She was something ridiculous like 19 when she started her lipstick range. And, you know, everyone's got a million lipsticks now. But back in the 90s, the, the early 90s, the only people that had made lipstick were like Revlon and Estee Lauder. And mm-hmm. who was this 19-year-old girl from Melbourne who thought she could make lipsticks? And it's such, for, for women of a certain age, probably over the age of about 35 or, or 40, we all wore the, you know, you'd be in the club and you'd be... In the red, put, in the, Poppy King. Yeah, yeah, you'd be putting your lipstick on in the mirror in the bathrooms and everyone did it. And that was monumental and she had a, a you know she she flew like a comet through the female entrepreneur business landscape um had a falling out with her backers ended up going to the states and has conti- worked for Lauder for a while and then has continued to um she's just got such an entrepreneurial spirit and she's about to 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 do some more things and she's coming out to Australia next year to do a bit of a tour with me. Oh, cool. We can't wait to see. Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> we Fun say the fact same thing. about Poppy King, she actually used to date our uncle. She did. I remember her when there we were go. really little same. and I just thought she was the coolest. Yeah. I think I must have been super young at the time as well. Like I remember her from when I was like three or four. Yeah. Yeah, she was incredibly glamorous, still is. So it was, um, I, I was so thrilled that she agreed to write the forward to the Lady Startup book. 
and um, she's I've just reconnected with her after about 20 years and she's just as, as inspiring as ever. Oh, cool. Well, we've just got our copies of the book, so I can't wait to read that forward and the book in general. Who is your celebrity hall pass? My celebrity hall pass? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say Sam Page from The Bold Type. Oh, oh I type? love that you just referenced The Bold Type. Wait, that is, is amazing. Is that Richard? I Richard. love Richard. Oh, Richard. Richard's amazing. Richard and Son together yeah. is my life. He's oh a great one. He is amazing. Once upon a time I would have said Rob Lowe, but since oh, watching yeah. The Bold Type, he is just. Oh, and his character is beautiful. Like I, I don't even know if mine's Sam or maybe it's Richard. Yeah, you know like, what? yeah no, I agree. He's like Mr. Big. He's like the Mr. Big of The Bold Type. He's amazing. You know, it's so funny that you brought up The Bold Type because we were just saying we should start a side podcast where we discuss our favourite shows and our two were The Bold Type and Younger. Obsessed. Yeah, I know. We've, we've got that in here it's called the recap podcast and we're doing a special a summer special on the bold type which i'm going to be oh in because uh, all i want to do is talk about that show oh, oh we can't okay. wait we'll have to listen <laughs> yeah we'll be listening for sure um and the last question is your favorite cuisine in the world pizza oh, it yeah. has to be pizza oh, not even italian going... i love that it's just yeah. pizza oh yeah pizza or any kind of bread I mean, if I can, I, I judge a restaurant on the kind of bread, the quality of bread that they have. Mm. Uh, and there's a type of bread, there's a bakery in Sydney called Iggy's and they do like this particular sourdough. And on the weekends, there's like queues down the street. I'm literally um, writing that down as we speak. Iggy's Iggy. bread or any those. kind of wood-fired pizza. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I'm having a real pizza moment uh, at the moment. That's what I was about to say. Stephanie's obsessed with pizza at the I, moment. I know. I can't, there's this eggplant pizza from Baby yep. in Melbourne. Oh, I love, I, I eat that, I know that eggplant pizza. It's Maybe that's the one so I have good. whenever I go there. It's with really a good, good. Aperol yeah. spritz. Yes. Amazing. So whenever I'm in Melbourne, I meet my girlfriend, Wendy, who lives in Melbourne now, and we meet at Baby, and I have the eggplant pizza. Amazing. Well, <laughs> our office is literally just down the road from there, so wow. we'll have to have a pizza and a drink one time. It is. It's very good. We go there sometimes on Friday afternoons. They do $5 Aperol spritzes. Yeah, and also you have to try South Downing sandwiches because they have this delicious squishy bread, and it's just five minutes down the road from here. I'm excited. Yeah. Anything that we with good bread, I'm there. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Well, Mia, thank you so much. You've thank given us you. so much to think about. I feel like we want to go down and write what we think is going to be in the future, and then we can compare notes in five years. I know, and I think, <laughs> and I think we're ready to like redo our whole business plan after speaking to you as well. So <laughs> that'll that'll be another episode. Put that on your to do list. Yeah. yeah, but thank you so much again. It was great to chat. To Thanks you. for having me, and I can't wait to hear the whole podcast series. It's going to be fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you got some great takeaways from that chat. We have actually been following Mia's work since her days in print media. So getting to interview her was a real pinch me moment for us. And we're seriously considering doing episode recaps for shows like Younger and The Bold Type. So let us know if you'd be interested in seeing that happen. So if you like what you heard today, please click subscribe, leave us a comment. We absolutely love to hear your feedback. As promised, our next podcast guest is going to be Lauren Scruggs Kennedy. She is such an incredible person. She's overcome some serious obstacles in her life and is literally the most positive and empowering person I have ever spoken to. I know you're just going to love it. It's going to be an awesome way to start your week. So we will see you then next Monday. See you then.